Support for Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom is brought to you by Manscaped. Thanks to listener participation over the last several months, Manscaped has been kind enough to sponsor the podcast. As long as people continue using our promo code SUNNYINKC to get 20% off their entire orders. So thanks to everyone who's helped us out so far. Uh, this is incredible. Check out this suggested intro for the ad read. With live sports being back, it's very possible that we may see an NBA playoff matchup between the Clippers and the Nuggets. So our partners at Manscaped want to make sure your Nuggets are safe as possible when they meet the Clippers. Ah, what wordplay, that's great. But for real, it's been amazing to be partners with them. I've been super impressed with their products. Per their ad copy, Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced. They actually just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their lawnmower trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes slash-tipped tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code SUNNYINKC at manscaped.com and take your grooming game to the next level. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Well, Taylor, it's uh, it's Pat's birthday this week. Happy birthday to Pat. Happy birthday to our hero, our king. And, you know, obviously we need to get him something. We got we to gotta mark 25 years in the world for Patrick Mahomes somehow. So I just figured maybe we could brainstorm some ideas for like what, you know, what maybe we could get him as a birthday present. Because, I mean, what do you give a guy who has a Super Bowl ring and, you know, uh, recently got engaged? He's got uh, $500 million, <laughs> half a billion dollar contract. He plays for the greatest football team in the world. Um, I'll tell you what you get him. Okay. You get him a bubble, like boy in a bubble. You know, okay. like a, a big protective casing. Okay. All right, go on. Important human being on the planet because okay. it protects him from COVID. It protects him from injury. It protects him from tacklers, from muggings, from whatever life throws it his way because it's life's horrible. And the bubble is protecting our savior, Mr. Patrick Mahomes. This is an interesting idea. Do you, do you think there would be a way to make a bubble that he could throw the football from? Because that... To me, it seems like would maybe defeat the purpose of the bubble. Like if he could throw, then there's a breach, right? Like it's it's no longer contained. That's a good point. But maybe the bubble the bubble could just have like an arm extension out of the bubble. It doesn't have to be a perfect circle. It could be he could just have a little slot where he can stick his arm out of and zing that ball, but it still surrounds I think it could work. I think if anyone could throw a football from a bubble, it's Patrick Mahomes. I really enjoy the clip art that you've put in our show document that <laughs> the listeners will never get to see of, uh, I'll tweet of it, a, a young African-American child in a bubble, like playing gleefully in the yard. Are you familiar with Zorbing, Taylor? Zorbing, yeah, yeah. The giant bubbles that they slam into each other and roll down yeah, hills and yeah, stuff. You yeah, you roll down hills. I actually have done it. I had the, the pleasure of Zorbing while I was in New Zealand a few years ago. And awesome. now I can't really get this out of my head. Like, I, what if we put the entire team in a bubble? Welcome in, everybody, to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom, brought to you by Manscaped and Sports Illustrated. 
I'm Austin. I'm Taylor. And we are your hosts of this amazing podcast. We got a great show today, Taylor, because for the first time in the history of this podcast, we have a football game to recap that just happened. Chiefs are one and oh, baby. Woo-hoo! Taylor, your thoughts? I mean, it feels great. It's it's awesome to get the season started. It feels like we've been doing this pod for years. I mean, I guess six months in 2020 does feel like years, but yeah, decades. Uh, it's uh, it's great to get off on the right foot. It certainly is. And this is our first episode with the 2020 season recap. So this is how things are going to kind of go. First thing, we're going to give you our thoughts on Chiefs Texans, the Thursday Night Football opener. And then we're going to get into what else around the league kind of caught our eye this week. That is a segment that we are going to call what is happening and how it might affect the Chiefs. And then we're going to roll into a little week two preview. That's going to be the Chiefs at the Los Angeles slash San Diego Chargers. So first, Taylor, this game recap. The Chiefs played a football game last week, and they played the Houston Texans. They beat the Houston Texans 34-20 to in a game that was not really as close as the final score. The Chiefs were behind 7 to nothing in this game before for the second game in a row against the Texans, scoring 31 straight unanswered. 31-plus, I should say, because in the playoff game it was actually more than that. 48. Patrick Mahomes with 221 yards, three passing touchdowns, receiving scores from Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, and Sammy Watkins, plus a rushing touchdown for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. A lot to like about this game, Taylor. What stood out to you? Well, from the football perspective, Clyde has to be the main focus of this game. Uh, He was phenomenal. He was absolutely dominant, um, mostly up until the red zone. He did get stuffed five or six times around the goal line, but that's going to get cleaned up. Three of those were at the end on what were essentially quarterback kneel downs from inside the five-yard line. But um, in general, it feels great to have a running back like Clyde. He's something that the offense has missed since the days of Kareem Hunt. Um, no slight to Damian Williams and Darrell Williams and the guys that have filled in. Daryl, I said Darrell. <laughs> <laughs> and Daryl Williams and the guys that have filled in admirably uh, since Hunt's, uh, you know, uh, incident. <laughs> yeah, right. Since, since Kareem decided to be a complete bozo and get kicked off of one of the best offenses of all time. But that being said, um, I think it's, you know, all positive from Clyde. He earned the FedEx ground player of the week in the entire NFL this, this week. So, I mean, he's clearly not just like a nice weapon as a rookie. He's like one of instantly one of the best backs in the NFL. And that's extremely exciting. Yeah. uh, It was great. And it's hard not to make the Kareem hunt comparisons because obviously the last running back the chiefs unveiled on, you know, Thursday night football in the first game of the season was Kareem hunt. And, you know, had a record-breaking day when he came in against New England a couple of years ago. And Clyde set a record as well, I believe, for most rushing yards for a player his age. I think he was the youngest player to reach that rushing mark. I think he had 130 yards rushing. Mm -hmm. And he was the youngest player in NFL history to do that. So uh, that was kind of cool. And obviously, they didn't even really unveil him at all in the passing game, uh, which is really his bread and butter. I mean, they came out and they just ran him between the tackles. They ran him to the outside. They just ran him, ran him, ran him over and over. And they haven't even showed yet what he can do in the passing game. So it was it was fun. I mean, and this was our first chance to see him because we obviously we didn't have any preseason games at all. So the second he kind of got involved, it was like, okay, this is what this is what we've been waiting to see since April How about when the Chiefs took him run? in the first round. It was amazing. I mean, you know, he uh he barely outran the guy to the end zone. And that's, that's the, the only real knock that you can put on Clyde is he doesn't have 
incredible top end speed. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe what separates him from the last Chiefs running back to where that number 25, because otherwise, I mean, aside from the lack of that incredible Jamal Charles like speed, that's kind of who he reminded me of. I mean, just the the ability to make guys miss in the open field and, and fit through tight spaces. I mean, he's a little guy, but ran with a lot of power and he certainly is fast enough. I mean, you can see traits of a lot of the great chiefs running backs of recent history in Clyde, uh, the ability to kind of break tackles. uh, It's very reminiscent of Kareem hunt. And, you know, Kareem doesn't have amazing top end speed either. No, you know, there, there would be plays where Kareem would get into the open field and would just barely make it into the end zone. I mean, he wouldn't be, you know, doing the, the Dion high step into the end zone with a guy 15 yards in the dust, like Tyreek does or Jamal would do, right. but he can get there. I mean, if you get him out in space, he certainly can outrun most of the guys on the field. If you give him a little bit of space and boy, did he ever do that on that and touchdown you, run? You kind of want a combo power and speed, you know, like, so just pure speed is great, but like, I never felt super comfortable with Jamal in the red zone. Like, I mean, he, yeah, you know, usually they would go to a tight end or something like that just because Thomas Jones, ex- exactly right. Somebody other than Jamal. I mean, he scored his, fair share of touchdowns but it's really nice to be able to and clearly again Clyde was stuffed five or six times at the goal line I'm not yeah, saying they need this to work is on a, it I'm not saying it's a bread and butter for him but he has the ability he he's so powerful and he has that really quick spin move that I've never seen a Chiefs running back have before where at the point of attack he can spin 360 degrees on a dime and it's just he's got moves he's he's really really fun he clearly works hard and you know the guys like him a lot I mean I'm 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 thrilled about him I'm super super excited to see what they do with him from here on out yeah it's going to be great to see what he does here in week two against the Chargers Uh, I've got something Taylor that I wanted to talk about and this actually is a good opportunity for me to plug our parent website Sports Illustrated slash Arrowhead Report you can go to SI Chiefs or follow us on Twitter at SI Chiefs I wrote a little piece this week Taylor about my favorite part of this game not from a player standpoint but from a a tactical standpoint, a coaching standpoint. And that was Andy Reid's decision to go for it on fourth and one from his own 34-yard line in the first quarter of the game. Now the Chiefs were down seven to nothing, but this was a this is the first quarter. I mean there were 40 48 minutes left to go in this game. <laughs> of and the first game of the year. In the first game of the year against the Houston Texans, a team that the Chiefs you know, we're obviously favored to beat, but it's not like this was a desperate situation. Andy just decided, eh, I got to play for this. And Mm -hmm. you know what? I'm going to go for it. And it worked. They handed it off to Anthony Sherman. He got two yards. He picked up the first down. The Chiefs were the first team to go for it inside their own 40 in the first quarter of a game since the Chiefs two years ago uh, against the Broncos on October 1st of 2018 season. They gave it to Kareem Hunt. It was on their own 34 fourth and one in the first quarter it's not or it's not a common occurrence at all you just you don't see teams go for it in their own territory hardly ever and to go for it in your own territory in the first quarter of the game when you're not forced to you you, I mean you don't have to do it to come back from a lead you know it's not like if you punt the ball away the game's over that's the situation you would see teams typically go for it in their own territory. It's when their backs against the wall and they literally have to convert the fourth down to be able to extend the game and, and go down and tie it or win it. Yeah. It's really an extraordinary call from Andy Reid. It's, it says two things to me. Number one, it says that Andy is feeling really, really good about 
his team composition and and what they, they're capable of responding to. You know, he's not worried that one mistake is going to crumble the game. He clearly has a lot of confidence in his guys. He has a lot of confidence in his defense, which is something that um, you would need to go for it and, and put your defense possibly, if you don't get it, in a tough spot. He clearly has, you know, a lot of faith in Spagnolo and those guys. And again, I feel like he also has he's playing or coaching free. He won his Super Bowl. He's going out there. He's got the best offense in the world with the best quarterback in the world. And he's just saying, whatever, man, we'll go for it on fourth and one. What's the worst that happens? Like, even if the Texans get us down 14, nothing here, huh, add 10 more to that. And then we'll play. Right. I mean, it's, right. it's exactly, he's just very confident and a confident Andy Reed is super bad news for the rest of the NFL. It is. And you guys can read this piece. You can find it again on Arrowhead report. Um, and I encourage you definitely to check it out. But the thing about Andy is this has always been a little bit of a blind spot for him. Um, he, it's weird because the Chiefs, since uh, Andy Reid took over in 2013, have the second highest fourth down conversion rate in the NFL at 58 and a half percent. The Saints are at like 62 and a half. They're number one, which is incredible. The league average is around 48%. So the Chiefs are about uh, almost 10, full 10% better than league average at converting fourth downs, but they're dead last in fourth down conversion attempts. Uh, they're tied with Seattle. And for those of you who are longtime <laughs> listeners of the podcast, you know how Taylor and I feel about Pete Carroll, although let Russ cook. He, yes. he was doing it this week. He cooked. Yeah. The point is, you know, and, and Hey, if Pete Carroll can learn to let Russ cook, you know, Andy Reed can learn to go for it on fourth down. And, you know, the chiefs went for it eight times in the regular season last year. They then went for it three times in the playoffs and they converted a hundred percent of the time in the playoffs, <laughs> not counting there was a fourth down throw in the Super Bowl, the last play of the Super Bowl to run out the clock. So I'm not counting that one. Right. But three times they went for it with the intent of picking it up. And three times they did pick it up, including Rose Bowl. And then again in the Super Bowl. And they also had a fourth down conversion against Tennessee. And then in the first game of the year, in the first quarter, Andy comes out and says, eh, I'm going to go for it. And then he picks it up. And then Taylor, and then in the uh, post-game press conference, we'll talk about this a little bit later, he came out and said, or not in the post-game, but in his midweek presser, he said, I just felt like we needed to do that there. I thought we had a good play. We're going to try and stay as aggressive on fourth downs. You talk to stats people, they say it's the right call. Mm. I mean, mm. listen, a- analytical Andy, this is this is, this is Music it. Music to our ears. That is. That is. When Andy's embracing the correct analytical call which i mean bright guy definitely is not a troglodyte as far as how to coach a football team but like no, the, the more you can embrace these concepts the more dangerous your team is no question about it and if he's sitting there and not afraid to go forward on fourth and one from his own 38 he's not afraid to do anything and it's just gonna it's gonna do nothing but bode well for the chief success from now on i mean he's if he's in that mindset Good luck. I mean, and and not just from a mathematical standpoint, because certainly it is mathematically the right thing to do in these situations. Yeah. But when you consider how good the Chiefs have been on fourth down and the fact that they do have all these weapons and they do have Patrick Mahomes, and now they have a very good, powerful, shifty running back in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, just the versatility that they have. Andy Reid is a play caller. I mean, can you imagine what – it just takes me back to you. You remember in the mic'd up in the Super Bowl, where 
uh, they call Rose Bowl. They're going to go for it. And George Kittle goes, they're going for it. Damn. <laughs> like that's what every defensive coordinator and every opposing player in the entire league has to be thinking right now, because who, who has the anxiety and the pressure in that situation when the chiefs are going for it in the fourth quarter in their own territory, it's not the chiefs because you know, on the off chance that they don't pick it up, whatever, you've got three more quarters to, to come back from, you know, let, let's say worst case scenario, you don't convert that fourth down. The Texans get the ball and they score a touchdown on a short field, whatever you're down 14 to nothing and you get the yeah. ball back, In there. you know, but if you convert that and you go down and score, think of the, think of the pressure that you've put on the opposing defense, the opposing defensive coordinator. I mean, it's just like you have Patrick Mahomes and all these weapons. And instead of having to stop them three times to get off the field, now you have to stop them four times. Yeah. They're, they're already impossible to stop with a normal amount of downs. And then you give them an extra bullet. I mean, this would make a pedestrian offense better to go for it on fourth down more. Now you take the, the best three down offense in the NFL and you give them extra shots every now and then. And it's just, you know, you asked who would feel the pressure there. Anytime Patrick Mahomes is taking a, a ball from the center, the defense feels the pressure and the other yes. team and the defensive coordinator, it doesn't matter what the situation is because he's shown time and time again, that he's capable of just striking like lightning that quick. And you just, I can't imagine what type of game plans these defensive coordinators are coming up with. And by I can't imagine, I mean, like, they can't be very effective or good at all. These these coordinators who are the best of the best at their jobs have to be looking at this Chiefs offense just going, we literally cannot stop them. I don't, you know, you fill the box, they throw on top of you, you drop everybody back, they run it underneath with Clyde for seven or eight yards, you double-team Tyreek, you double-team Kelsey, and then they've got Sammy Watkins and McCole Hardman. And it, it's just, you know, we look at it every time we watch the Chiefs, and it's a little – uh, old news to us, but these weapons are just embarrassing. Yeah, they are. And not just the skill players, but something else that stood out to me that I kind of wanted to go over was the offensive line. I thought that, and, and listen, I'm not going to claim to be, you, you know, I'm not like a professional, um, you know, scout and I don't, I don't break down offensive line tape. I wish I had the time and the ability to do that. But just maybe it's because we haven't seen football in a while. And the last time we saw football, the Chiefs offensive line was getting manhandled by, you know, Nick Bosa in the Super Bowl Mm -hmm. and DeForest Buckner in the Super Bowl, that really stout San Francisco defensive line. But I thought the Chiefs and and certainly the Texans don't have anywhere near the defensive talent, especially on the line that the 49ers did. But I thought that the Chiefs offensive line, like – even just watching the game live and without getting into film or, you know, watching any play more than once and, you know, kind of in the atmosphere of I'm just casually watching a football game. I thought the Chiefs offensive line looked really good in this game. Yeah, they did. And the addition of Coleccio Assembly, look, we all love LDT. We all love what he's been able to bring to the team the last few years, but Assembly is a different type of, of guard than LDT was. And yeah, he moves guys. I mean, he is, he is big and powerful and you could just tell when that, when those five guys were all on the same page, I mean, that offensive line, not only were they protecting, which I like to see a lot, obviously for a team that throws the ball a lot, but their run games, I mean, they were, they were moving the Texans line and you said that they don't have a lot of talent on the D line, which is true, but they do have a top three defensive lineman on their D line, which is J- healthy JJ Watt. Healthy JJ Watt is as game wrecker as Chris Jones. And obviously as Aaron Donald, um, yep. 
And you saw that on when they loaded the box, when they knew the Chiefs were going to run, when it was goal line situations, J.J. Watt wrecked almost every single one of those plays. And he is a force to be reckoned with. And even though they don't have the deep talent that San Francisco did, to be able to consistently keep him out of the running game when it was in the middle between the 20s, it, it was super impressive. And it's something that this team is going to need a little bit more balance, uh, maybe not need because they got along fine. They won the Super Bowl without a ton of running balance last year, but it's certainly going to help them. Yeah, and I I loved. I mean, to your point, whether the Chiefs need the balance or not, it's nice to have it, right? Yeah. You'd rather ha- have it and not need it than need it, need it and not, and have, not it. have it. Uh, yeah, thank you. That was a little Archer reference there. Uh, kind of a you know a different drop from our our usual Sunny reference mm-hmm. humor. Um, I loved the fact that they, and listen, we're obviously both huge proponents of the pass game. I really enjoyed the Chiefs running the ball a ton, especially their third drive of the game. I think it was second or third drive of the game. They just handed the ball off almost every play. What was cool about it was like, they obviously didn't have to do that. (laughs) Like they could have passed, but they chose to run just to show that they could do it, right? Like they put that on tape for the entire rest of the league. They said, hey, look, you, you remember last year when the only thing that our offense couldn't do was like <laughs> run the ball yeah. when you knew that we were going to run the ball, like the power run game, that was like the only thing that our offense couldn't do really well. Yeah, now mm. we can do that. Yeah. So have fun have fun with that. Man, it, it's funny because some of these teams make an entire identity out of power running. You know, the Titans and and to a certain extent, the Ravens, even though it's not quite power running. But it's just really funny that the Chiefs can embrace like a like an Aaron Rodgers offense with a Derrick Henry offense. Like they right. can just do both. They, they can just mold to whatever it is that needs to be done in that situation. They're just so versatile and they're so explosive. And I just it would be an absolute nightmare for them, if we were if we were doing this podcast for one of our other AFC West opponents, and we were sitting there talking about what we're going to have to do when the Chiefs come to town, like I wouldn't even be excited. Like it is, no. it is depressing. No, that's maybe a good opportunity, Taylor, to roll into our new segment because I want to talk about some of what our friends around the AFC West are doing. This segment is called what is happening. (laughs) And we just wanted to take this opportunity to kind of go through some of the things that we noticed this week when we were watching. It was, it was great to be in the Thursday night opener because that means Sunday is a pure red zone day Yep, and multiple screens. As many games as you want. Yeah, exactly. It was great to have Scott Hanson back in our lives. I want to start Taylor with actually the, the last game that that we watched that closed out the (laughs) week one slate because I gave a shout out to our AFC West friends. How about them Broncos, man, what a bunch of idiots. I mean, they were only in it because obviously Steven Goskowski had money on the Broncos that game because he missed (laughs) his first three kicks and an extra point. So he left 10 points on the board when the neither offense was doing much of anything all night. It was 7-7 for the longest time. Then they kind of traded back and forth. And eventually, when the Titans scored to go up 13 or 13 to 7 pending the extra point, and then he shanked it. And then the Broncos took a 14-13 lead, and it just looked like the Titans were going to leave 10 points on the board and lose. But then fortunately the football gods were smiling and 
Goskowski got a 25-yard redemption shot, nailed it, and Vic Fangio, for whatever reason, decided that he wanted to uh, keep those timeouts in his pocket. The, the Titans were obviously running the clock out. There was a minute 20 left. They were down in the red zone. They're, they weren't going to go. They weren't going to be able to take any clock off because Fangio had all three of his timeouts. But he left them in his pocket. They ticked it down to 17 seconds before they kicked the field goal, and then Denver had no shot. He, he's, I tell you, We've made fun of a lot of people in the AFC West, but I am so glad that Vic Fangio is the Broncos coach. You know, it's amazing, and it's such a fun little twist of fate that we have, you know, Andy Reid, who for some reason has always been much maligned for his timeout usage. And I can think of, you know, I, I'd have to think about I, it now because it's I think been it was years. the Super Bowl. I mean, the first one. His first the one. Super, the first That's one, really right? the sure. reason. I mean, All the way the back in 2006. Stage. Yep. Yep. And it just, he, he got that, that reputation and it's really hard to shake a national big game reputation like that, but he shook it by now. Yeah. And Vic Fangio, unfortunately, he might have, uh, he might have to wait a while before he can shake that. I mean, he admitted in the prep, the presser uh, after the game or, or rather in midweek that, that this was a mistake and that he should have called timeouts. You know, it's uh it's interesting. Uh, Warren Sharp was talking about this on his podcast. Shout out to Warren Sharp, the great Warren Sharp. We love him. Yep. Uh, but you know, Fangio calls the Broncos defense. So like he just, Too many when hats. his offense is on the field, he just like doesn't really pay attention. And when you have a defensive minded head coach, they just don't understand situational football as well as an offensive coach does because when, you know, when their offense is on the field, they're not really engaged at all. And it's kind of cool to have, you know, an offensive coach for a lot of reasons. One being that, you know, Andy Reid's our head play caller and he's not going anywhere because he's the head coach of our football team. But that situational awareness is something that Vic Fangio clearly lacks. I want to go next to talk about the Las Vegas Raiders hmm. because while they pulled out a win in their game over the Carolina Panthers, 34 to 30, they did not look good. No, not at all. They, you know, you look at a Panthers team that's clearly rebuilding that although they have Christian McCaffrey, um, they're brought in a new quarterback, a new head coach, new pieces everywhere. And it just, that should not have been a game, especially with no fans in the stands. There's really not, any reason why that playing field should have been advantage home team. And if the Raiders were a serious contender, not only in the AFC West, but in the AFC, they should have rolled that team. I mean, that was, that was an absolute mismatch that they just completely stunk up all game long. Um, Derek Carr, you had a great tweet that, or maybe you retweeted it. You'll, you'll have to correct me, but he, yeah, yeah I, retwe- I retweeted it, gotcha. but it was a great tweet. I, yeah. I 17 yard depth tweet. of target over his first 15 passes, which was the highest in the league for the first 15 passes. And then for the, his last half, probably 15 or so passes of the game, it was the third lowest depth of target in the NFL. So he started off throwing bullets. And I think a lot of people do say that John Gruden is pretty good at scripting drives at least for the first couple drives of the game and you know he had a really uh long pass to Henry Ruggs that he completely barfed that it was it was was a duck it was was... behind him it was it was just a really really bad one that Ruggs had to break five six I mean Ruggs was Ruggs had like eight yards of separation he he should have dusted him 
And instead, he didn't even get to score because Carr put up such a bad ball. But of course, that goes down as a 45-yard pass to Henry Ruggs. So, you know, Raiders fans, oh, Derek Carr in the deep ball. Like, you've yeah, got Chase to Frost is going to be Chase he's Frost. touting. Chase <laughs> Frost is going to be touting that play for a while. He loves it when he's at his, uh, his Paul George funeral. He's going to yeah, be, geez. Uh, yeah. So anyways, yeah, Raiders, um, you know, they suck. That was, that was, they should not be proud of that win, but I'm sure in Raider country they are. Yeah. What stuck out to me, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but they were going against a Carolina Panthers team that has a new, completely new offensive system, new quarterback, new skill players. And frankly, outside of Christian McCaffrey, not an overwhelming amount of talent. Hey man, put some respect on Robbie Anderson's name. Right. Robbie Anderson. He had a great game and I actually am a big Robbie Anderson stan, but they should not have dropped 30 points in their first game with no preseason, (laughs) with a new offensive system (laughs) against an actual NFL defense, but they were playing the Raiders and they almost won this game, Taylor. They went for it on fourth down with their fullback instead of handing it off to Christian McCaffrey, Mm. they handed it off to some dude whose name I've already forgotten, who (laughs) nobody has ever heard of. They did not pick it up, and the Raiders went on to win. Alex by... Arma off the top of the dome. Boom. Nice. Well done. Nailed it. Uh, you obviously were were very attentive during that uh, that part of the red zone segment. I think I was playing with the puppy. <laughs> so our third cast of characters in the, the AFC West, who we will be seeing this week, were the Los Angeles Chargers, who are playing Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And – you want to talk about get, getting away with one. <laughs> Man, uh, the Chargers won this game when Randy Bullock missed a very makeable field goal. I want to say it was 30-something yards. Yeah, it was 30. To tie the game, it was 16-13. to 13. And then he may have had a cramp, or maybe he was just pretending he had a cramp. But he shanked it, and then he grabbed his leg, and he fell down. But he's apparently fine. So – so this is great. He grabbed his right um, hamstring, right? When he, when he falls to the ground, you can see on the tape, he's grabbing his right leg. And then in the presser, he says, yeah, I hurt my left leg on the kick. He, he switched the leg. So then the Bengals to get his back, they listed him with, with an injury in practice today to both quads. Oh my god. They listed both legs because they were just like, well, look, dude, you grabbed one, you said the other one. We're just gonna put them both on there so that nobody really understands what happened, which is just that you, you dork the kick. Like there's no there's no way around it. And and the Bengals were driving and Joe Burrow hit AJ Green for what would have been the game winning touchdown. And they called AJ Green for a push off. I guess I'm kinda on the fence about it. I probably had some anti charger bias in my, sure. my analysis there, but it was definitely a close call. And, you know, the refs is looking the other way on that one. And we're talking about Joe Burrow getting his first win in the Chargers and the Broncos. And, you know, if if Alex Arma doesn't get that handoff, we might be talking about all three of them completely barfing in week one. So it was not a good showing for our AFC West opponents. It really wasn't. Uh, were there any other games that kind of stood out to you? Anything that you thought was interesting vis-a-vis our Kansas City Chiefs? Certainly. Uh, for other what is happening moments, uh, <laughs> Kyler Murray and... And Nook Hopkins were on it. They Kyler looked his way all day, early and often. He had a career-high 14 catches for 151 yards in what I was originally calling Arizona's massive upset of the 49ers. But 
now that I think about it, I'm not quite sure how massive of an upset that is. Kyler and the, and the Cardinals can play. I mean, they're a, they're a nice offense, and I'm kind of not quite sold on the Niners these days. So, you know, I mean, I thought that was a really fun AF, or NFC West showdown. I think you and our friend Sam Hayes, who was on our preview show a couple of weeks ago, I think you both had the Niners missing the playoffs, didn't you? Or at least Uh, I had them as a wild card team, but I definitely had the Cardinals winning the division and Sam had them missing the playoffs entirely. Well, that looked pretty good for both of you. That was a fun game. We saw the debut of Thomas Brady as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Uh, Yeah. I mean, not a great game for him. And obviously, I mean, you know, this is how (laughs) – I'm going to find a way to turn this into a dig on the Raiders. (laughs) This is what a team with no offseason program and no preseason running an offense against a good NFL team should look like, which was missing throws. He threw a pick six for the third time in a row, the third game in a row. First time in his career that he's done that. Obviously, we remember the there was a pick six against the Dolphins in week 17, and then his last pass as a Patriot, a pick six against the Titans in their playoff loss. But this is what a team with a new quarterback, a new kind of offensive system being built around said quarterback, this is what that team's supposed to look like when they go against a good defense. And that's not what the Panthers looked like against the Raiders' defense. I thought the Saints looked looked very good, but they now have lost Michael Thomas for at least three weeks. He's going to go on the, you know, new kind of short-term IR with a ham or excuse me, an ankle injury, I believe it Mm -hmm. was high ankle. Yeah. A high ankle sprain. Uh, But I thought Drew Brees, arm uh, didn't look very good. I mean, it hasn't looked good for years, but I I mean, this is the first game of the year and I thought it looked. uh, Yeah. And that Bucks defense is pretty nasty. I was really impressed with how they handled the saints you know, their, their weapons in the passing game. And I thought they got a ton of pressure on breeze. And I mean, I think they really, for all the talk of the Tampa Bay weapons going into this year, I think if that team goes anywhere, it's going to be on the backs of their defense, much like it was in new England this last year (laughs) where, you know, Tom, he's 43. I don't care how, what he's accomplished in his career. He's not going out there and beating these teams. That's just not in his game anymore. He can, You know, you usually are hoping that he goes out there and doesn't lose the game, doesn't throw a horrible pick six and stuff like that. But I mean, he's not dropping 400, 450 yards a game like he was back in his heyday. So, I mean, I I think I still like the Saints a lot in that divisional race. um, against the Bucs. I mean, I think they clearly show that they're closer to a complete team, but that Bucs defense is not something to trifle with. It certainly is not. And we got to see it. This is a great, I mean, it just was great to have football back Taylor. It feels like, it feels like every game affected the chiefs in some ways. Yeah. Or was interesting or was interesting or was interesting. One or the other, another game that sort of has a bearing on what might happen for the chiefs down the road, uh, specifically in three weeks, Cam Newton returned to the NFL, made his new England Patriots debut and looked pretty good running the ball. Didn't have to do a whole lot through the air, but did pick up 75 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. The all-time rushing touchdown leader for a quarterback went a 21-11 to win over those pesky Dolphins who knocked them out of their bye. So Cam wasn't even on the team, but he did get a little measure of revenge for those Patriots that uh, were with the team last December on that fateful day. Yeah, Cam looked good running. He doesn't have a ton of weapons. I mean, you know, he looked Julian Edelman's way a lot. 
but uh, Nikhil Harry had some bad drops and there really wasn't anything outside. They obviously haven't replaced Gronk since two years ago and he just doesn't really have a ton of options. He kind of has to run that power, that quarterback draw game that the, that the Panthers used all the time. And that type of offense just doesn't really scare me too much. I just feel like you have to be basically perfect and they certainly were playing a, a Dolphins team that for all the Fitz magic that they channeled last year, it was Fitz tragic this time. He threw three picks. Yeah, uh, Fitz, Fitzpatrick was just not the, the game didn't mean anything to him, obviously, and he was playing like it. So I expect to see two of their uh, here before too long. Um, and that should change that matchup moving forward because obviously Tua's ceiling is much higher than Ryan Fitzpatrick, but um, yeah, you know, a 21 to 11 home victory over the dolphins that would have been seen as a loss in Patriots country for the last 20 years. So, I mean, that's a, that's a good sign that they're not quite up to their, their old ways. Yeah. Unfortunately, a team that is up to its old ways, the Baltimore Ravens, Yikes! as they have done the last couple of years in a row in week one, put an absolute massacre, an absolute beatdown on the hapless Cleveland Browns, treating them as they did the 2019 <laughs> Miami Dolphins when they just absolutely shellacked them in week one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they blew out the Browns. Lamar looked great throwing the ball. Although to be fair, half of the Cleveland secondary was out in this game with injuries. I think your top two cornerbacks, uh, they had obviously their safety that they just drafted in April was out on IR for the season. I mean, this was a, this was a scary performance from the Ravens. I mean, we, we obviously, we knew that they were capable of this. This is something they've been doing over the last calendar year or so, but they look good. I mean, if, if anybody was hoping that the Ravens were going to come back to earth at all, I don't think so. I think the chiefs are going to have to earn it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I think Lamar has had the chip on his shoulder that people keep talking about his passing game for quite a while now. And he didn't really run around a ton against the Browns. That wasn't really the way that they chose to beat the Browns. They beat him through the air, which is something that people kept pointing out. If you're, if you're going to win games in the NFL, you got to be able to throw the ball and you know, Hollywood Brown looked good. Mark Andrews obviously looked good. Um, And Lamar has his weapons. He has a full, complement of offensive pieces. J.K. Dobbins scored two touchdowns. So, I mean, they're they're definitely not a team that's going to struggle to put up points with anybody. And it's just now a matter of who slips up one more time, the Chiefs or the Ravens, because clearly those two teams have set themselves a tier above everybody else, not only in the AFC, but in uh, there's some good NFC teams. So it's the race for that one seed, the only buy in the AFC playoffs. I mean, it's, it's basically going to be decided Monday night football week three. I don't see any way that the winner of that game doesn't hold on and win the, win the whole conference. Yeah, I agree. And obviously we'll get into that next week. Um, We'll be previewing that game in full, but honestly, I, I think it's telling what you said. We've talked about this on the show before. Um, I think when we were, maybe when we were recapping the 2019 Ravens game, but the way that you stop the Ravens is not by selling out to stop the run, which is what the Browns did in this game. And it's what the dolphins did last year. I mean, you know, yeah, Lamar didn't run because they tried to stop him from running. And the way you stop the Ravens is by playing the pass. And if Lamar beats you, one-on-one, you know, in coverage with our down the field in the linebacker, he makes the linebacker miss and he takes it to the house. So be it. But I think the chiefs, 
I think the Chiefs understand that better than most teams because the <laughs> Chiefs have had much more success against the Ravens since Lamar took over as quarterback than any other team in the NFL. Uh, he's beaten, I think, every other team that he's played. Um, his only other losses are to win, unless you count the Titans, because obviously I think he just played them once in the playoffs and lost. But, yeah. you know, one of the one of the only other losses that he has, uh, one to the Chargers and one to the Browns, both teams that he has beaten in subsequent meetings or previous meetings. Mm-hmm. So the Chiefs are the only team that has played him and has not lost to him. And I think there's something to the way the Chiefs approach playing the Ravens. I think there's, I think there's a good matchup there for the Chiefs and we'll see in a couple of weeks, but it obviously is going to be, it's going to be a huge, huge game. And that was one thing too. We didn't talk about this in our Texans recap, but that was something that I enjoyed about the Texans game. Like there wasn't anything that I saw in that game where I was like, Oh, I wish we had waited until week three, (laughs) you know, to, to dish this out. Like we, we kind of, yeah, kind of played it pretty, pretty vanilla. You think Andy even cracked the playbook open for that Texans game? Nah, he didn't. No, he <laughs> he didn't. probably just went out there and was like, "All right, guys, I drew up a uh, fog play on my face mask. Just go yeah. around this." What he probably did was, since there wasn't a preseason this year, he probably like dusted off his 2019 preseason playbook. Nice. Like you know, yeah. just like uh, it's preseason game one. <laughs> I'm just gonna call like you know, he's got you know probably like the first three pages of his full playbook or whatever he's like i'm just gonna run these for this game against the texans it's bill o'brien it's his new defensive coordinator whose name i've forgotten already and we'll dust him and they did so that is this week's edition of what is happening (laughs) and that brings us taylor to the game preview for this sunday's game chiefs at the los angeles chargers it's going to be 325 start on Sunday, the Chiefs are traveling to SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles for the first time ever to take on the Chargers. The Chiefs are leading this season series, or the all-time series, rather, 63-56-1. to 56 to 1. Chiefs 63 wins, 56 losses, and one tie, and have won 11 of the last 12 games against the Chargers. The only blip, that Thursday night football loss that you and I, unfortunately, were at oh. in 2018 when they lost on a two-point conversion to Mike Williams on the last play of the game. But Patrick Mahomes has a 3-1 record against these Chargers, Taylor. And I guess just give me your give me your thoughts. How are you feeling about this one? I'm feeling good. Um, I tend to focus on coach-quarterback combos a lot in NFL matchups, for better or worse, because the teams are more than just their coach and quarterback. But it says a lot about at least my confidence level about beating that team. And to be honest – I mean, I I have some respect for Anthony Lynn. I think he is the second best coach in the AFC West. Um, I just don't really see Tyron Taylor having the bullets to be able to stick with the Chiefs. I just don't. And for for that reason, I feel like the Chiefs are going to probably use page two of their playbook against the Chargers. <laughs> you know, they're they're probably going to keep things vanilla. It's probably going to be closer than we would like, but not not too close for the chiefs to ever feel like they're going to lose the game. Um, I, I just feel like this has all been leading up to that Raven showdown since the schedule was announced. And I think the chiefs are probably going to treat it like that. And they probably have enough confidence that they're going to be able to walk into SoFi and hand the chargers their 12th loss in 13 games. You know, I, what I'm looking for in this game is I just want to see Patrick Mahomes come out 
and crush the Chargers the way he's crushed every other team in the NFL. He is three and one against the Chargers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the Chiefs have put up points in these games, although Phillip Rivers has had a hand in that. Yeah. But as he always the Chiefs does. Is, as he always does, as he did. We Dude did not talk about Jags. that. He lost to the Jags. We didn't the talk Jags about that. The Jags are the worst team in the NFL. We predicted them to be the number uh, one pick in the and they yeah. oh. The Jets are the worst team in the NFL, but Uh, the Jags were thought to be the worst team in the NFL until the Jags showed that they were competent and defeated the Colts. The Chiefs have put up some points against the Chargers under Patrick Mahomes, 38, 29, 24, and 31, although obviously, again, Phillip Rivers has thrown a lot of interceptions in those four games, but Pat is averaging just 213 yards per game against the Chargers in his career, and that's four games with eight touchdowns and two picks. So he's averaging, you know, two touchdowns, half a pick, 213 yards per game against the Chargers. His completion percentage, 62.7%. That's below his career average, which is right around 66. His quarterback rating is just a shade over 100, and that's a big drop-off. I think his career mark is around, what, 110 right now? I think it's 108. And his yards per attempt, uh, two, almost a full yard lower than his career average, his YPA, 7.25 yards, all significantly below his career marks. And some of that, Taylor, is just a lack of opportunity. The Chargers have this very obnoxious trait where they just – they just like don't actually want to play that much football. Like they're, <laughs> they're like, you? okay, yeah, well, no. <laughs> they're like, all right, we'll each get the ball seven times, and that's the game. We're, we're not going to let you have 14 or 15 possessions. We're not interested in playing that kind of game with you, which is fair. They shouldn't be interested in that because they would yeah, get so, their butts kicked. Yeah. But Pat's averaging just uh, just over 29 pass attempts, 29.5 pass attempts per game against the Chargers. If you take all of his other games uh, in the regular season, not counting the game against Denver, obviously, where he left early due to injury, but against every other team in the NFL, he's averaging 37.1 pass attempts per game. So the Chargers have done a really good job of keeping him off the field, which is one of those things that you always hear talking heads say, you, you know, like, do. oh, you, you just got to control the clock and keep the Chiefs off the field. Mm-hmm. I'm just – I want to see Pat come out in this game and just shred the Chargers. <laughs> we, we know that he can do it. Yeah. The question is just, will he do it? Yeah, I think that's – I as much as Pat says the right things in pressers and, you know, he never seems like a vindictive personality or any of that stuff, I do think he's got that Michael Jordan gene in him, and he knows – that every time he's played the Chargers so far, he's walked away with a worse box score than he's than he likes. He knows that. And I just feel like he's got his MVP, he's got his Super Bowl. He's he's much in like the Andy Reid mindset right now, where like if he wants to go out and clown somebody, I don't see any way the other team can do anything about it. And this is hopefully going to be one of those cases where Pat just says, you know what? People keep saying I have my worst games against the Chargers and, oh, here come the Chargers and all that. Like, I'm just going to go show them that, like, there doesn't, there's no defense in the NFL that scares me. And if he goes out there and he throws dime after dime after dime, which we've seen him do his whole career, um, this is going to get ugly in a hurry because I just don't think that the Chargers have much going the other way. I just don't see this being a competitive game. I hope I'm right. I will say, Taylor, to roll into our our next point, another part of the reason that Patrick doesn't have otherworldly numbers against the Chargers is because the Chiefs are good for a return touchdown against the Chargers like (laughs) 
like every other return is, yeah. is a touchdown against yeah. them. I'm exaggerating slightly, but the Chargers special teams are so bad. They are, they are unbelievably bad. So right now after week one, and I, you can't put a ton of stock in DVOA after week one. For those of you who don't know, DVOA is a metric by football outsiders. It's kind of a cool, it's kind of like a war metric. You know, if you're familiar with war from baseball, it's a, it's a fun little set. You should check it out. Football outsiders. Um, the chargers are 26th in special teams DVOA after one week. And you can't put a ton of stock in one week DVOA ratings. The chiefs, by the way, are 16th overall, which is why I say you can't put a lot of stock in one week of data. But last year, the chargers were 32nd in special teams DVOA. The year before that, in 2018, they were 25th. The year before that, they were 31st, okay? In 2016, they were 29th. All right, like, the Chargers have had, like, (laughs) bottom five special teams for half a decade. All right, like, we're we're going on five years now that the Chargers have had not not just bad, but, like, worst in the league special teams, okay? There's a reason why Tyreek Hill has two punt return touchdowns against them in nine return attempts, (laughs) all right? Like, they've kicked the ball to him nine times, and he's taken it to the house twice, okay? Like, the Chargers special teams are hilariously bad. And so this could be a fun opportunity for McCole Hardman to uh, to make an impact. He was uh, he was absent in week one when wasn't a huge part of the game plan in week one as a receiver. But this could be a week where he could certainly make his presence felt on special teams. Well, that's a great point. He made his presence felt on special teams against them in week 17 last year he with a huge did. return touchdown. And it's just it, – it, McColl, I'm sure, is itching to get a little bit more involved. He's a big personality. He, you know, comes to the stadium wearing funny stuff, and he's a funny guy, and he's always tweeting. And he just – he feels like I'm sure he looked at his box score of one catch for six yards or whatever from the Thursday night, and he just thought, I'm, I'm better than that. I can contribute more than that. And what better way than to get going in the kicking game that tends to wake some receivers up that are um, receivers slash returners. And he has the speed. He has the talent to be able to do it. Um, I really hope that he has a good game just because, you know, the other three guys all caught touchdowns, Sammy, Trav, Ty, they all got theirs. And I just hope that Pat keeps everybody involved, maybe gets uh, D-Rop a touchdown and Cole a (laughs) touchdown, and maybe he just keeps feeding everybody. You know, it's funny you should mention uh, the return game waking receivers up because it makes me think of Patrick Mahomes' first game as the Chiefs starter in Los Angeles in 2018, yeah, where Tyreek Hill took a slant, just like a normal, regular run-of-the-mill slant all the way to the house, and then also in the first quarter of that game <laughs> had one of his two punt return touchdowns against the Chargers. It was the Chargers' first possession. They punted on their first possession, and he housed it, and then the Chiefs' first offensive possession, Tyreek scored the long touchdown. He, went, he came out banging. It's just – it's crazy. <laughs> it gave us that great – gif of Tyreek Hill walking out with <laughs> yeah. the with the oh. with the robot arms. We're or both whatever doing it. I'm it. sure we're both miming it because yeah. I am. Oh yep. for sure. Yeah. It's incredible. Uh yeah. I love it. I love that guy. It will be fun to see him get back out there. He um he doesn't have extraordinary numbers traditionally against the Chargers. He's averaging a shade over sixty yards per game, which obviously is not, you know, a monster performance for him, but he does have five touchdowns in I believe seven games, seven, eight games. Five um, touchdowns as a receiver. And as, then... a re- as a receiver, yes. 
He also has the two return touchdowns as well on nine attempts. Again, silly. two of the nine times the Chargers have decided to kick to him, he scored a touchdown, which is His hilarious. His first career touchdown was against the Chargers. He's he's had some big ones against them. He has, and I'd like to see, too, a big game from Travis Kelsey, who is not a guy who has traditionally had big games against the Chargers. Derwin James, their safety, who has had some success against Kelsey in the past, is out. He's on IR because the Chargers are cursed. Yikes. Uh, Travis Kelsey, in his career, Taylor, has averaged 41 yards per game against the Chargers. Wow. And he has one touchdown. Wow. That was the one in Monday Night Football last year. Yes, it was. Last year, in his 12th game against the Chargers, he scored his first touchdown against them, which is almost impossible. I I mean, when I looked up the numbers today, getting prepared for this podcast, I I like checked it like three or four times. I was like, "That, that that can't be right. Jeez. But it's true. I mean, he just is not a guy who has ever had huge performances against the Chargers. And, you know, just looking back the last two or three years, there have been games where, you know, Travis Kelsey, the, the Chargers have tried to take away Travis Kelsey. Sure. And they've been playing against Travis Kelsey for a long time. I mean, he's played 12 games against the Chargers in his career. You know, they've had a lot of experience playing against him. That, you know, that 2018 game that we were just talking about where Tyreek went off, he had one catch in that game for six yards, I believe. I remember. But, but <laughs> Tyreek Hill went nuts in that game for like 150 yards and had the touchdown and obviously killed them in the return game too. And then, you know, when the Chiefs played them in 2017, uh, Travis Kelsey was pretty quiet, but Kareem Hunt had a monster day and Tyree Kill had a long bomb in that game. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, the Chargers can take away Travis Kelsey, but they can't take away Sammy Watkins and they can't take away Tyree Kill and they can't take away Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who will be playing them for the first time. They just can't take away all of the weapons, no matter how good this defense might be. And they looked pretty good in week one. Uh, I do want to mention briefly, we're recording this on Wednesday night, so there may be some some changes to the injury report by the time you listen to this, but Joey Bosa did not practice on Wednesday. Obviously, Derwin James is out for sure. I did not see whether Bosa is in any danger of missing the game. He is a guy who has had some injury issues in his NFL career. But the Chiefs, we should probably talk over their injury situation very briefly. Charvarius Ward fractured his hand uh, against the Texans. Alex Okvor with a hamstring pull and Colin Saunders with a dislocated elbow were the Chiefs injuries coming out of that game. Obviously, uh, Colin has gone on the IR and will miss about a month is what I read today. Charvarius Ward, despite fracturing his hand, and this <laughs> this will never make sense to me, football me players, but he did, he did not practice today but he has not been ruled out for Sunday. There is a possibility he plays with a cast. Uh, Kendall Fuller had a similar injury two years ago towards the end of the 2018 season, I think against the Chargers, wasn't it? On Thursday Night Football. <laughs> Sounds right, yeah. And then I think he played that after the mini-buy against yeah. Seattle, or maybe yeah. he missed the game against Seattle because that was the game that Charverius Ward had to come in and unfortunately got roasted mm-hmm. by Russell Wilson, who will roast people. But it sounds like there's a possibility that Ward will play this week with a cast. And if not this week, it sounds like he, he will almost certainly be back in week three against well, and the Ravens. And that's be, obviously necessary. I mean, that's absolutely yes. – the, yes. the cornerback room is the, the one room that you can't really start losing guys right now. And, boy, if Ward doesn't go, 
that's going to be Rashad Fenton and Legarius Sneed. And I don't know if they called you yet to see if you want to come in because <laughs> I did play cornerback for my, uh, my intramural uh, flag football <laughs> team in law school. So that I'm sure that the chief actually, scouts know all about that. That actually is the highest level of football that I have ever played. So uh, I, I mean, you know, I, uh, I was pretty aggressive. I, I would say my scouting report, um, below average speed, definitely, <laughs> definitely gambles a lot with my coverages and, uh, I have terrible hands. So if the ball didn't come to me, I would definitely drop it anyway. So I, I it would Give not be call, great. Brett. Yeah. It would not be great if I got called up, but I'm glad you mentioned Legereus Sneed because we should probably, we should Shout probably mention out. that you should probably mention that he was awesome against the Texans. Like it, in spite of all odds, I mean, we're talking about a season where, I mean, we're talking about a late round pick at mm-hmm. a premier position in cornerback, like a, a, a skill position on defense and a guy who didn't get any preseason reps and came in and had an amazing game, had to basically play starter snaps after Traverius hurt his hand on Thursday yeah. night and, and looked really good. Yeah. And against a really good wide receiver core, it's not, DeAndre Hopkins, but still between Cooks and Fuller and and all those guys, I mean, they've got they've got skill there. And, you know, the pick that he had was definitely just a jump ball that he was the right guy in the right time. But the other plays that Yeah, now breakups, I might have been able I might have been able to catch that. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, that was a that was, that was a fair a catch on a punt for sure. But you know, the the blanket coverage and the pass breakups and all the the things that you want to see out of a corner. He's long, he's fast. Um, They've liked him since the day they drafted him, obviously. And it's just really, really, really comforting to know that the, the scouts still have it. I mean, they're still getting guys that are coming in. This was not a one year draft class blackout and hit the lottery. I mean, these guys, this organization, knows talent and Legereus Sneed just looks like another in a long list of great draft picks. Yeah, it would be fun to see. And this is something that I'm hoping maybe we'll get on Sunday. It'd be nice to see Willie Gay out there, man. The, no kidding. No, no second round snaps. pick, no defensive snaps, despite the fact that our linebackers are obviously um, Daniel and yeah. problematic. Yeah. That's how I would describe our linebacking core. It'd be nice to see him crack the rotation, but you know, the chiefs obviously are not shy about giving playing time to rookies. It's something that, you know, Andy has not necessarily ever been known for, but you know, on Thursday night, Legereus Sneed ended up having a lot of snaps. That was partly because of an injury situation. And then on offense, obviously Clyde got, a ton of looks right away. Yeah. Was given, you know, given the lion's share of the snaps and was really featured. I mean, he was the game plan on Thursday night. So it's a little bit puzzling why gay was not out there. Um, Because obviously the chiefs, if they felt like he was the best player, you'd think that they'd play him because they did that with Snead Mm -hmm. and they clearly have a need at linebacker. So it kind of makes you wonder a little bit what, what the plan is for him. And, and they would have said if it was an injury because they want, you know, if somebody's banged up, they want to kind of tell people like, Hey, don't worry about this guy. He's a little nicked up. We're going to sit him out, but they didn't. So like, is it really just that he couldn't crack the rotation? I'm going to give my, my most optimistic take on this. And okay. this has burned me before because you mentioned Dorian O'Daniel. Yeah. And this was my, this was my take on Dorian O'Daniel a couple years ago. I remember when it. He was a rookie. 
And that was, hey, the Chiefs have got this guy, Doriana Daniel. He's this fast linebacker. You know, his bread and butter is pass coverage, you know, covering tight ends, covering running backs out of the backfield, et cetera. You're really all the things that Willie Gay is supposed to be very good at and that the Chiefs are lacking speed and coverage at the linebacker mm-hmm. position. And the Chiefs did not play him against the New England Patriots. Yeah. In week, what was that? Week five, week six of that season. Of 2018, yep. Of 2018. Yep. And the Chiefs lost that game. And the Chiefs played some putrid players at linebacker and safety that game, which Mm -hmm. ended up costing them on the last drive of the game. Mm -hmm. I digress. I never let losses go, Taylor. No. But anyway, that was my take on Dorian Daniel was, look, you know, we're going to play this team again. Maybe he's not quite ready right now. And so given that he's not ready to play a full complement of starter snaps, sure, it would be great to get him some work. But, like, why put this guy on tape? Why show other teams? Maybe that's still the plan with Dorian Daniel. What he's capable of. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> it's, it is a long con, Dorian Daniel, right? Like, he's going to come out in the AFC Championship game in 2025, <laughs> and he's going to be spying Lamar Jackson. Secret weapon. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of like my optimistic take on it. You know, maybe the Chiefs are – now, the flip side of that is they obviously would like to get any rookie – any snaps in real game action because they haven't had any preseason games, right? Like it's surprising that he couldn't even get on the field in the fourth quarter when the chiefs had a 31 to seven lead. Yeah. I'm perplexed by that, but see that almost feeds into my conspiracy theory a little bit, right? Like, yep. Why, why would you not get him some snaps in a blowout unless you were like saving him, super hiding him (sighs) and waiting for, you know, his skill set is the perfect fit for what the Chiefs are going to see in week three at Baltimore in what we've already said. I mean, like, it's not too early to call that the game of the year. It is. No. Yeah. I mean, it last two one, MVPs. Yeah, there's for one sure. buy in the AFC this year, and the Chiefs and the Ravens are clearly the two best teams in the AFC. You know, maybe that's maybe that's the plan. I don't know if that's the plan or not, but you know, there was a lot of buzz around Willie Gay in camp and the Chiefs linebacker unit is bad and Willie Gay should be pretty good. And he didn't even see a single defensive snap. So I don't know, Taylor, maybe we'll see him this week against the Chargers. Maybe we won't see him for a couple of weeks. Maybe we'll see him in Baltimore, but that's, that's what I'm hoping is the case. Anything else you want to say about the Chargers before we sign off and uh, get ready to watch this game on Sunday? They're they're kind of old news. I mean, at this point, I think that the Chiefs have kind of already banked another AFC West win, and everything at this point is about playoff positioning and playoff performances and rings. I mean, that's where the focus is. And yeah, the Chargers want to be cute and play against the Chiefs. That's fine, but we're just going to we're going to treat him like we have every other AFC West opponent for what feels like since the dawn of time. And this is not going to be close like any of those other games aren't. And the chiefs are going to be geared up for Monday night. The chiefs are 27 and three in their Stupid. last 30 games against the AFC West. That is an NFL record. They are nine and one against each of their division opponents. With just some decade. horse shit losses. By the yeah, way. no, that's true. We, we would be remiss if we didn't point out that, all three of those losses were on Thursday Night Football. All three of them were bullshit. The the last second, I mean, literally two of them yeah. were on the last yeah, play of the and, game. Yeah. And those losses were by one point on the last play of the game 
for two of those, the Raiders and the Chargers loss. And then the Broncos loss was Jamal Charles fumbling the ball inside Chiefs territory with, with a minute like to go. A minute to go in the game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was just, I mean, the, the Chiefs could be and should be 30-0 and 0 against the AFC West over the last five years, which is insane. But you're right. I mean, you said, you know, it, the Chiefs have already banked another AFC West win. Whether you meant that as a single game win this weekend. Oh, I meant the division. A division win this year. Either way, I mean, they have. This division is already as good as over, over given what we've seen this week from the Chiefs' opponents. Let's just get predictions, Taylor, before we sign off here. What's your gonna what's gonna be your score prediction? We already gave our season predictions. Yeah. I know you picked sixteen and 0 slash nineteen and 0. Yeah. What what do you think? How much did the Chiefs win by Taylor? Well, after watching what they kind of did with the Texans game where they definitely kept the foot off the gas and still scored thirty four, I think they will do something similar. I'm gonna go with like thirty five seventeen. 3517 that sounds good to me i'm going to go with i'm going to go with 38 to 17 that's what i picked last that's, week that's right. i'm going to i'm going to do it until the chiefs hit 38 <laughs> love it that's right i'm going to do it that'll do it for us for this week guys we will be back next week to recap the chiefs win over the chargers and preview the game of the year week 3 monday night football chiefs at baltimore ravens till next time mm-hmm.